This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 65 of Go To Grandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and in case this is your first time joining us, we are all about providing facts and fun for grandparents. Those who are them, those who have them, and of course, those who love them. We are the radio show and podcast for today's grandparents, and we cover everything from travel to tech, fitness to food, and fashion, social media, the arts, books, family relationships, pretty much everything that's in our world. The world is constantly changing, but it's so important to reflect and remember back to significant events and the courageous people who saw us through them, especially leading up to Remembrance Day here in Canada. I'm so happy that Canadian acting icon R.H. Thompson is back on the show with me today. Last year, R.H. told me all about the not-for-profit project he launched called The World Remembers whose goal it is to name every single person whose life was lost in World War I worldwide. This year, he will update us on where they are, and we will take a special look at the women who died during this war. A quick story. The last time I had R.H. on, I asked him for some questions he would like me to cover, and he suggested, Do you ever get recognized as Matthew Cuthbert from your role on Anne with an E? So I asked him, Do you ever get recognized as Matthew Cuthbert from your role on Anne with an E? And he looked me in the eye and he said, no, but of course he does. And we are recognizing his work with The World Remembers today. Transitioning from military life to civilian life can be tough. Today on our special Take 5 with RBC interview, I talk with John Fleet, who is now a senior director at RBC. John joined RBC after a 20-plus career in the Canadian Armed Forces, and he is going to share some of the challenges and satisfactions he went through and how he's helping others to do the same. As I previously mentioned, our main pillars are fun and facts. The fun portion of our show today launches us out into today's world, a world that is 71% covered by water. And those waters are increasingly being filled with cruise ships as this industry comes back from the complete lockdown they went through during the start of the pandemic. But what has changed? Is it safe to cruise? What do we need to know, either as a veteran cruiser or as someone looking at booking their first cruise? either as a retirement celebration or a multi-generational, well-deserved vacation. Award-winning travel journalist Heather Greenwood-Davis is back on the show to give us all of that information. She's been on a couple of cruises since the lockdown, and her first-hand experience will be handed over to you. All aboard for this episode of GoToGrandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and R.H. Thompson is up next. R.H. Thompson is a well-known Canadian television, film, and stage actor with a career spanning five decades. He has received numerous awards for his contributions to the art and to war veterans. In 2011, he established The World Remembers ahead of the 100-year anniversary of World War I. The World Remembers is a non-profit Canadian organization whose goal it is to name every person who lost their life in the First World War, regardless of the side on which they fought. During the 1914 to 1918 centenary years, the organization was able to persuade 16 nations to join the project, and the work continues to recruit nations to complete the information resource and make it accessible for generations to come. 
Good morning, RH or Robert Thompson. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. So remind us, me and my listeners, about the background for your commitment to create the World Remembers program to record and commemorate World War One's Fallen. Uh, it's a bit of a wild 12-year idea based on the fact that when we remember wars and we do very nice remembrance ceremonies on November the 11th, nobody names them. Right. Nobody names the people who were killed. And for me, the people who were killed in a war are pretty central to what you think about of wars. And we never name them. And I go, well, why? Why don't we? You know, they're all sort of named as a collective. So it started off says, well, could we just do the Canadians? And that worked so well. And the response was so strong. Uh, we did in Ottawa. We did in schools. We did in Belgium. We did in everywhere. That the question is, why don't you do everyone? Since Canada is everyone now. Canada is mm-hmm. the Italian community and the American community and the Australian community and the Polish community and the, you know, the Chinese community. We're all here, so why not do all the names? So that was the idea. It's totally crazed. <laughs> it's covered with politics and like, I don't know how. Anyway, it's a political minefield and a data, a data cliff that you don't want to, you don't want to try to climb. However, We've now got 22 nations involved. Amazing. And this year we are showing 4,200,000 names from the First World War from those 22 nations. And people can go look. They go look. The Italian, you know, Italian community can look up. Oh, my my great grandfather, he he was killed in World War One. They can go look. So it's that kind of to make it absolutely personal to say remembrance in the you know in the name of phrases and proper nouns and that's nice. Bugles and flags. That's also nice. But we must remember them. We must. And I went on the site, theworldremembers.org, and did a search. And you're right, it's very easy to search by surname, by country, and perhaps the year that they fell. So it's 2022. You've had this going since 2011. How has it grown in the past year? And with the renewed display at the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa, which is on now through Remembrance Day, tell me, how are you planning for it to go forward from here? It is one continues to slog up this pretty steep hill. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you get more nations in? How do we get more display locations? And how do we actually find more names? And it it really becomes a larger archival and kind of political initiative. This year, Austria and Croatia came in this year, so that brings us to 22 nations. But what about Bulgaria? What Mm -hmm. about uh, Romania? What about Serbia? I mean, these are all really important, should be important parts of it. So the effort continues to how do I, well, two things. How do I bring more countries in, right? How can I persuade the Romanians that they should be in this display at the Canadian War Museum? But also, how do I find, we've only got 720 names from Austria. Mm. Let me put it that way. Yeah, yeah. There are hundreds of thousands of Austrians killed. Mm-hmm. It can be done, but it takes time, interest, and money to do it. So I reach out to all the communities. I say, okay, the Polish community, the Ukrainian community, the Ukrainian community, the Austrian community, Canadian community. I say, come on, we can do this, but I need some donations. We're charitable. And then we go work with the various people in Zagreb or Vienna or wherever they are with a researcher, and we actually build these lists of names because they don't exist. They're buried in books from the 1930s, and they've never been, I don't want to say archivally cleaned, Mm -hmm. but subject to the same kind of archival rigor that some countries have, and Canada's Canada's way ahead on this, as is Britain and Australia, and they're a long way ahead in taking archival rigor to, which really means care about the people who were killed, 
So that's what we need to do. So I need allies. I need allies in the Austrian community, the Croatian community. Call me, email me, because <laughs> we can figure it out. We can do this. And we focus a lot on the fact that we're talking about a lot of soldiers, obviously, which were men. But what about women and war? Does the world remember name the women who lost their lives? And would they be nurses or were other women killed? The women are totally important because, you know, you think of war, you think of men, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about men. It's all about the soldiers. And rightly so, in a way, because most of those armies were full of men. So there were always some women who dressed up as men and joined them. That has been true throughout history. Mm. Because of political complexity, we have to show what we only call our military deaths. As soon as you get into civilian deaths, the kind of political swamp gets really intense. And you can't quite figure a way in. In as much as people, a lot of nations, didn't keep good records of their soldiers who were killed, they really didn't keep any records mm -hmm. of their civilians who were killed. But we can find the women, as you say, who were nurses, who were doctors, who worked as laborers. We can find those women because I think there were 67 Canadian women nurses who were killed in World War One, And we found their names because they had to be connected to the military in order to be a nurse in World War One, And therefore, we can access those records. Belgium's the only country I know that is truly digging down and saying, well, I'm sorry if that family was killed when that shell hit that apartment and, you know, Mrs. Jameson or whatever and her two daughters were killed. They are war casualties, but they are the only country who is doing that. And it's an important piece of history, obviously. And I really appreciate this project, Robert. And if we want to see all of the names, we can go to theworldremembers.org and keep up to date with all of the countries and all of the names that are there. And in the last two seconds I have with you, are there any other plans for more Anne with an E in the works? I have to ask you this. Oh, my God. That was a Netflix more than a CBC show. <laughs> and... Netflix carried the majority of the budget, therefore Netflix carried the axe. Okay. And they put the axe in it, so no matter how much CBC wants it, uh, because most of it was Netflix money. I'm going to petition Sadly, Netflix. no. Sadly, no. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, it lives on. I know they have many fans that are still watching it. Thanks again for your time today, and again for everyone, theworldremembers.org and the great R.H. Thompson. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. Please give them my email if they can help. Go for it. rhrh at simpatico.ca. rhrh at simpatico.ca. Just email me. Say, hey, I'm part of the creation community here, and I really want to help. Perfect. That's how we make it happen. Thanks, Robert. Thanks. Heather Greenwood Davis is the first black woman to have a travel column in both Canadian national newspapers. For more than 20 years, she has told travel stories that encourage parents to raise respectful global citizens who view the world's pride and problems as their own, while also encouraging the idea that parents don't stop being adults when they have children. For more than a decade, she's told award-winning stories for National Geographic. She is currently on the masthead as a contributing writer. Heather shares her travel expertise regularly in a host of national and international publications, including Condé Nast Traveler, Afar, and Travel and Leisure, and on podcasts, radio shows, and television programs, including The Social. She is a popular keynote speaker. Good morning, Heather Greenwood Davis in studio. I'm so excited. It's good to see your smiling face. Great to see you too. You've been traveling a lot since sort of some of the restrictions have come off and uh, you've been doing some cruises, which I know is of particular interest to our listeners. So whether we're talking maybe a veteran cruiser, someone who's done many or someone who's thinking about it for the first time, what changes can we expect to see since the pandemic started? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I have been on uh, at least two cruises 
cruises since the pandemic has uh, protocols have been lifted. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, cruisers are going to cruise. Cruisers are out there. It is busier than ever. A lot of the people who had their cruises delayed are now taking their chance at mm-hmm. getting back out there. And so every kind of ship is busy. <laughs> and you may have some trouble actually getting a spot on a cruise. Luckily, there are some deals coming up around now. But um, for a long time there, it was tough. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting that it's hard to find a cruise even. It yeah. is. Wow. It is. And I think it's because in part, people were really concerned about safety. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, we heard a lot about, you know, what was happening on cruises. There were a lot of people, myself included, who were like, eh, not sure I'm going to head back out. But that's really changed. And I think part of it is that the cruise industry, probably better than anyone else in travel, did a good job of promoting uh, the changes they were making right. um, and showing what they were doing. And I think people have really um, appreciated that. So what are some of the changes that we could expect to see when well, we get on a boat? Yeah, it's mostly around safety. So you're going to see, you're literally going to see them cleaning mm-hmm. and you're going to hear about what they're doing. You know, I noticed things on my most recent cruise where, um, you know, we each had an individual water bottle. So they're thinking, too, about, like, you know, common spaces and how things are interacting there. There may or may not be rules around masks. Depends on the cruise line. There may or may not be rules about being vaccinated, Mm. which depends on the cruise line. So all of those things are things that if they're a concern to you, you really want to check in on before you book. And then the other big change is DEI, so diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that was the other thing that came about during the pandemic. And so you'll see a lot of cruise lines are making efforts to really showcase that they're catering to being inclusive to everybody. Oh, I love that. I didn't know that, actually. That's a great piece of information. One of the mainstays of the cruising is the buffet. Are there still (laughs) buffets or how has that sort of changed? Yes. Yes, there are still buffets. So I have to tell you, I haven't been on a big ship cruise. Mm -hmm. I'm certain that the buffets are still there. (laughs) But on the smaller ships I've been on, yeah, there have absolutely been buffets. So let's say I've never been on a cruise. I'm planning one for a retirement or a special, you know, celebration with my grandkids even. What advice would you give me if I'm looking at booking that first cruise? Well, you want to weigh the pros and cons. If you've never been on a ship, you really want to give some thought to who you are and who you will be as a ship traveler. You want to think about the size of the ship, the number of passengers that are going to be on that ship, the itinerary of the ship. But I think the thing that people often don't pay enough attention to is the ship itself. Mm-hmm. So I was on a river cruise uh, in the summer and there was a lot of talk about the rivers drying up quite a bit in Europe and mm-hmm. a lot of the cruises couldn't go the way they thought they could. And it was uh, important that the ship was something we could be entertained on as well. So you really do want to know what are the amenities on the mm-hmm. ship? Are you happy with the cabin you have? And will you be happy there if you have to stay there longer for whatever reason? Right, right. So you're absolutely right. Sometimes ships get stuck somewhere and that can be, it can be a safety a consideration, but it also can be a weather consideration. Some of yeah. the ships are put off course because of the weather as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. So recently I was on the Hurtigruten cruise. Uh, it's a Norwegian cruise line and we were scheduled to leave out of Miami and well, guess what? The day before was when the hurricane blew through <laughs> Florida. Didn't affect Miami, which was great, but it did affect some of the products that were coming to the ship. Right. So it meant that we had an extra sea day and luckily we were comfortable and happy on the ship, but if we weren't, that would have been a problem. I think that was a cruise you took that was science-oriented, correct? Yeah. So again, so many different things. They're not all just buffet eating and beer drinking contests. <laughs> there could be and great lectures and right learning experiences. Incredible. This mm-hmm. uh, ship, it was the, I'm not going to even try to say the name of the world, <laughs> Admonson, I think. Please let that be right. I heard a green ship. It actually had a fleet of microscopes on it. Like the first thing I saw when I came, I'm like, what, what cruise ship has <laughs> microscopes? But it was absolutely fantastic. Incredible lectures and, and lots of activities from bird watching to whale watching from on board the ship. That's so great. So if I am looking... What 
what cruises, if you can name a few in particular, people are listening to this, what's a great multi-generational cruise? Like you want to take the grandkids and do yeah, something. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's going to come as no surprise to anyone that it's a Disney cruise. It's actually Adventures by Disney, though. Mm. So it's not the big ship, which I've, you know, we've been on, I yep, think, I, which was a fantastic experience. But this is a smaller river cruise. And so we did that on the Danube, and it was fantastic. We had people from age 5 to probably 85. Everybody is sort of catered to. There are junior adventure guides on there who are going to help keep the kids amused. But there are also lots of things for the adults to do on their own, you know, and things to do as a family. So I thought they did a really good job with that. So while it's, it's not a Disney experience where we're seeing a lot of goofy characters or anything no, like that. No, <laughs> no, no. Mickey is not on board. Okay. I think I saw one plush Mickey somewhere, but that's about it. Okay, yeah, and I think a lot of people don't know about Adventures by Disney, so that is a, a great tip. And what about if I'm looking at a special retirement cruise? Any great, big, wonderful world cruises or any type of experience you can tell us about? Yeah, there's a few out there now. So I know that there's a new one coming out from uh, AMA that's going to talk about, I think they're hitting seven different rivers over the period. I can't remember how long it is, but the other one is the, the ship I was on, actually, the Hurtigruten cruise I was on, we were on for a Caribbean leg, but it actually was a pole-to-pole cruise. Oh, wow. And so north to south, Arctic to Antarctic, 96 days, I think, of being on board this ship. And there were about 20 people on board who were pole-to-pole. And then other people came on for different legs as we had in the Caribbean. I think that's a great experience. If you've got the time... And the inclination to be on a ship that long. I think that's great. I know Cunard (laughs) does similar ones too, right? They last for months sometimes and they do different legs you can do as well. Exactly. Well, I'm looking forward to my next cruise, I have to say. And I'm also looking forward to finding more information on the ones you've done and other travel adventures on globetrottingmama.com. We can find you there and we can also find you at heathergreenwithdavis.com and you're all over social media. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, Heather. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. John Fleet is the Senior Director for Business Risk and Governance at RBC Automotive Finance. The business provides financial services and point-of-sale purchase finance for the Canadian automotive, RV, and marine industries. John joined RBC in 2010 after a 20-year career in the Canadian Armed Forces, where he specialized in the command and maneuver of tank and armored reconnaissance forces. John served in Somalia, Bosnia and Afghanistan. Welcome to the studio, John. Oh, thank you very much, Kathy. It's great to be here. This is a great and special Take 5 with RBC interview, especially leading up to Remembrance Day. So you served in the Canadian Armed Forces for 20 years. So what memories come to your mind as Remembrance Day approaches? Well, it's always a special time of year for us. Um, The the memories are mainly about uh, the people. So it's a very close-knit community. You do some very interesting work. You end up in unusual circumstances, and it, it makes for some very strong bonds with your friends and your colleagues. So first and foremost, I I remember people who aren't with us anymore. And so um, unfortunately, there's a a good number of them. It's also shared experiences. So as I mentioned, you do 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 things that the average Canadian doesn't. Um, You see a lot of trauma. You see what the big bad world is like. You see the very best in people. Um, You also see the very worst in people. And uh, you, you just remember those those circumstances and those events. Um, the last thing I'd say is, is uh, although it's uh, particularly somber at this time of year and uh, you go through a particular amount of reflection, I would also say as a veteran is that that's an everyday occurrence. It's not something that we uh, park for November the 11th. It's We wake up in the morning with that in our mind and there's people that we uh, think about 
sort of perpetually, if you will. Every day, every yeah, day. not just yeah, Remembrance day. day. You made the transition from military to civilian life about a dozen years or so ago. Can you share some of the challenges, but also some of the satisfactions from that journey? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it was a difficult decision. So mm-hmm. I left the military after 20 years uh, with no regrets whatsoever. I'm very proud of the service that I gave to the country, the work that I did and the people that I did that work with. It was just the right decision for me and for our family at the time. What I found is, first of all, I'd come from very isolated communities. So a lot of the military bases, particularly in Canada, are in uh, remote communities relative to to most of the population. I didn't know what normal people did for a living. I didn't know what was on the menu. And so before leaving the military, I went back to school, uh, got a business degree, and that helped me understand what's out there. During that business degree, it helped me understand that uh, a lot of what I had learned and a lot of the experiences I had were very translatable to the private sector. The difficulty is, is other people don't necessarily appreciate that or see that. And in particular, what I find is people coming out of the military are very, very strong on what I'd call soft skills. So decision-making, leadership, communications. These are things that uh, take a lifetime of investment and are firmly anchored on, on values. I find that companies in Canada have a lot of empathy for veterans and there's a lot of very positive sentiment, but hiring decisions aren't made at the mm-hmm. top of the house and they're not made by HR departments. They're made by individual managers that are looking for specific sets of hard skills. And it's those hard skills that the, the veteran community uh, lacks. So sometimes it's it can be very, very difficult difficult to get looked at in the first instance uh, and, mm-hmm. and just get into the door. And, and uh, I guess the success for that is, you know, it's the, the successes have all come since landing at RBC. RBC has been very good for me. I've been encouraged over the years to put a lot of thought into where I want that career journey to go. Um, and uh, none of that has ever come to pass. And instead, I've always uh, landed in opportunities that I couldn't have imagined. And so it's been a very dynamic career for me and a very rewarding one. Uh, it wouldn't have started, however, if it wasn't for a military colleague of mine who was already in the bank who opened doors for me. And so this individual, a good friend of mine named Mark, he spoke to the executive in question and said, you know, you should have a look at this guy. And then that gave me the foot in the door uh, that I needed to get started. Well, I'm sure they're pleased to have you there. So what advice might you have for employers, veterans, or our audience, and what can they do to help bring down some of those obstacles that you mentioned? Yeah, I'd, I'd say, first of all, for veterans, uh, you have to be very clear on what you want out mm-hmm. of life. And so for myself, my ambitions were very humble in the first instance. I just wanted a good job. I wanted to <laughs> pay the bills sure. and put my kids through school. But when your aspirations are that broad, it's very difficult for people to help you. So the more specific you can be about the geography, the, the industry, the role, the function that you want to play in an organization and how you can add value, then people around you can bring more help. I think for employers, it's important to make that connection between the sentiment of the enterprise and the hiring decision of the individual manager. So managers need to be supported. They also need to be incented and they need access to resources. The gentleman that I spoke about started a national networking group called Trouble Victor and that group can be uh, contacted to help advise managers on how to make better use of of veteran talent. And for your audience, I'd say they've got a very powerful network themselves. Mm -hmm. Some of them are business owners. Some of them have uh, very uh, long and and, uh, successful careers. Make those networks available. Make yourself available for mentors and coaching. Thank you so much for sharing all of this, your personal story with us, John, and thank you so much for your service. We all do truly appreciate that, and we'll be thinking not only on Remembrance Day, but every day of those um, who have served our country. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing this very inspiring story. Appreciate thank you, it. Kathy. I appreciate that.
After all, Anne had said to Marilla once, I believe the nicest and sweetest days are not those on which anything very splendid or wonderful or exciting happens, but just those that bring simple little pleasures, following one another softly, like pearls slipping off a string. Ah, Lucy Maud Montgomery, of course the author of Anne of Green Gables, with a perfect quote to close this show. Thanks to R.H. Thompson and John Fleet for reminding us that the sweetest days come with the sacrifice and courage of others. And thanks to Heather Greenwood Davis for reminding us to seek out the world and find our own splendid and wonderful ways. Coming up next week, do you ever feel that the marketing and advertising you see targeted towards grandparents or generally towards those over 55 just get it wrong? I'm going to speak with marketing guru Tony Chapman about what they're getting right, how they're going wrong, and what we really want to hear from the products and services we're interested in, as well as how we are represented. And I'm joined by the founder of Rainbow Plate, Janet Nizon, who's going to tell me about their sensory-based approach to food, which is backed up by science. We'll talk about what healthy eating really is and how we can get our grandkids to eat more vegetables. Our Take 5 with RBC series continues with cross-border shopping tips and tricks for the upcoming Black Friday. From credit cards to debit cards and convenient cross-border shipping services, we'll talk about how RBC Bank can help with the savings and convenience for online and in-person cross-border shopping. Thanks for stopping in today. I hope to be in your ear and on your mind next week as well. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go to Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.